This is Vanderbilt Business, and I'm Kara Shear. The Vanderbilt Business Healthcare Association hosts a speaker series called Talking Health. For their spring event, the student organization welcomed Dr. Josh Umber, CEO of Atlas MD, to discuss the future of primary care in America. The talk was moderated by Larry Van Horn, Executive Director of Health Affairs and Associate Professor of Management at Owen. In this episode, Dr. Umber and Professor Van Horn briefly recap their talk and explain how Atlas MD is turning the traditional primary care model on its head. This was a great night, and I was really happy and thankful that Dr. Josh Umber came out here from Wichita, Kansas, to have a conversation with us here around what is direct primary care, what is the future, what does it mean for individuals, what does it mean for physicians. Josh founded and is the CEO of Atlas MD, Direct Primary Clinic in Wichita, Kansas, as well as an EHR platform to support direct primary care practices nationally. And Josh, thank you for being here. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So tell me a story. I don't think enough Americans know and understand what direct primary care is, what the potential is, and why it would be great for them. So just paint the picture. Direct primary care is healthcare made simple. I think it's the high customer service that most Americans have come to expect out of every other product, whether that's Netflix or Amazon. You want overnight delivery. They want things simple. They want one-click purchasing. They want life made easier. And what they experience in healthcare is a complication at every step of the way. And direct primary care is trying to smooth out all those friction points so that we can provide very affordable, very accessible, very convenient care to essentially all of America. And so practically, I'm considering direct primary care. I live in a world where there's DPC practices. What am I looking at? How much does it cost? What is my access? How does it differ from the existing experience I have when I go to see my doc? Sure. The rough average would be 10 or $15 a month for kids, $50 for most adults, for unlimited home visits, work visits. So you come to my home? I can. Holy cow. Uh Yippee-ki-yay. I love that. Let's go. (laughs) Unlimited telemedicine, so phone calls, texts, emails, video chat, and then we have no co-pays for anything in the office because we want to incentivize more care. We have no fees for any procedure in the office because we want to take that financial concern out of the patient's decision-making algorithm. If you need stitches, come get stitches. If you need an EKG... And do I pay anything for the stitches? Nothing. Oh, that's nice. But they cost us a dollar. Right. You know, maybe two when you include supplies, but that's like anything else. It's baked in, it's intermittent, and we can adjust for that. But that's the true cost of care. People will be charged $1,000 at the ER for a couple of stitches, and they assume all of healthcare is just that expensive. When we can come in and provide this huge value at a very low cost, it makes them just take a sigh of relief. Healthcare is easy again. I'm a hot mess clinically, so you're going to prescribe me a bunch of drugs and send me to a Walgreens, CVS, or whatnot to get my drugs. Can I get them from you? Yes, we prefer. Perfect. Tell me the story about how much that costs. I think in a lot of ways we've changed everything, and in some ways we haven't changed anything. The option for us to do wholesale medicines for our patients has always been there for physicians. That is not anything new. We didn't invent that. The pharmacists buy their medicines wholesale and then just sell them retail through a broken insurance model. Uh, 44 states allow physicians to dispense medicines like we do, and I can buy a 1,000 So in eight states, a physician can prescribe a medication but cannot dispense? That's right. Interesting. Yeah. 
Huh. Uh, we're trying to work on that in Texas. Okay. Uh, we're just down in Austin. But I can buy a thousand blood pressure pills for under five dollars. I can buy a thousand diabetes pills, metformin, for eleven dollars. That's the true cost of care, and people are paying ten times that when they try to run it through their insurance because it's this broken, foggy, third-party system where no one really knows what it costs. Kind of in a weird way, least of all, the insurance company. They're just as shocked to find out that these prices are available as anybody else. They'll say, well, Walgreens negotiated $40 cash prices, so we say we'll pay 50% of their listed price, so it's 20 bucks, and we thought we were getting a steal. Like, I get 1,000 pills of that medicine for 18 so you didn't get a good deal, you just... So Big Pharma is not the devil here, it's CVS, Walgreens, those actors? Retail pharmacies where the vast majority of the markup comes from. Okay. And if we don't need that because our business model is sound just off the membership, right. then we can afford to give the patients as much value at essentially our cost as we can. So in this world here, this sounds like this would be a slam dunk win for me as an individual. I can text my doc, I can call him on the phone, he's going to answer the phone, mm -hmm. 2 o'clock in the morning, Yep. I can Snapchat with him, You can. we can be Facebook friends, we can be, uh -huh. holy cow, we get the whole platform going, and I can come to his office, Yep. and it's not going to be 7 minutes with him looking at an EHR, minimum 30 minute visits, but we can extend that out to hour, hour plus if patients Okay, need. and you'll come out to my farm as well, mm -hmm. alright, so for 50 bucks a month yes so all day long every day of the week this seems like a slam dunk how about from the physician's perspective i think it's even better for the doctor okay tell me the story the average physician is experiencing burnout they're seeing 30 patients a day they're doing almost as much time on the record keeping as they are with patient face-to-face -face time they're struggling with high bureaucratic process and doing the best they can but in a broken system we have record levels of burnout, so we know the system's broken. And this model, 95% of their day is patient-centered. They get it to be very patient-focused. I mean, they're researching something for you, emailing you, I'm texting you, I'm providing value. And if that's not seeing you in the office, it's providing your medicine, or it's keeping you out of the ER, it's avoiding an unnecessary specialty referral just because I only had seven minutes. And it's continuity of care. Now we've got 600 patients that we can build rapport with and trust with, and I know you want your antibiotics because you think that's going to make you better, but it's viral, and I don't want to provide right you bad care. Right. I don't want to pay any taxes, but my accountant makes me every year, right? right? So he has a balancing act there where he has to do what's legally appropriate to keep me out of jail, but also knows I'm not going to be happy with the result of more taxes. And I think healthcare is that same way where we want you to be happy, but we want you to be healthy first. And that education it takes time. You gotta build that trust and build that relationship. And you can't do that in a seven minute visit where you're typing on the computer because insurance is your primary focus and right. not the patient. So in this world here, a primary care physician, his world changes from what to what? It goes from burnout at 30 patients a day and high headache, high hassle, to loving life again, making more money, seeing six patients a day and really providing great care. Who loses in this world? Honestly, I want to say no one except retail pharmacy. The patient, the physician, the employer, the insurance company all can see how this benefits their bottom line or their health. And then Big Pharma benefits because they get 
to relieve a lot of social pressure for being blamed for something that's not their fault. So it's really just CVS and Walgreens. They're the devil. They're, they're going to have a lot of crow to eat <laughs> when convenience value service is not really in the name anymore. They are overcharging patients. And I think they have high overhead, but I also don't think a third-party payer system that lacks transparency gives them the inherent incentive to show their cost. You can take CVS and Walgreens, and I bet you they're within pennies of each other on a gallon of milk because they know that a customer can watch that and doesn't need a prescription. It's not hidden behind insurance. There's no copay. It's just a perfectly transparent information available system there. Put it behind the pharmacy counter, and those prices are all made up. Yeah. Uh, to the point of a 10,000% markup on some medicines, because if an insurance will pay for it, why not? So insurance is kind of the devil here, too. Insurance, I think. The, the other people's, no, it's not insurance, it's other people's money. OPM. OPM. Is that fair? Milton Friedman, the most inefficient way to spend money is other people's money on right. other people. And one of the inherent flaws of the Affordable Care Act was the 85% rule that said, MLR. Well, yep, you can only make a 15% profit. Well, Correct. then we have to grow the pie. That's and right. we're not incentivized to shrink this and arguably can't really if we try to show a savings if we try to get more efficient so now we have to have this weird fight enough of the bills to be profitable but then occasionally pay these big weird random bills just to make sure we hit the 85 percent and they're incentivized to focus on all the wrong things yeah. and that's unique to health insurance life insurance car insurance home insurance is done in a ideal perfect model and we see beautiful transparent competition with them my kids can complete the phrase 15 minutes will save you you know 15 yeah. percent they know but healthcare is this just colossal monster that no one tames it doesn't need to be that complicated it really does so but i don't blame insurance companies i blame doctors yeah insurance companies are actuarial people they're risk managers they're payment models Right. They cannot tell a physician how to re-innovate the bedside delivery of well, care. Well, and at the end of the day, even by the ACA standards, with 85% on the MLR, 85 cents on every dollar going out to providers, the money's in the provider sector through price and quantity. It's, mm -hmm. That's where the action is. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wrapping up here, is this DPC thing a little niche play in little parts of the country? Paint the picture for where the DPC trend has come from and where it's going. We really think DPC is skating to where the puck will be. This is the fish that eats the whale. When Barnes and Nobles paid Amazon, you know, subcontracted them out to do their online book sales because they never thought that online sales would amount to anything. That's where we're at in the stage of innovation in healthcare. But when Starbucks spends more on healthcare than it does on coffee beans, GM spends more on healthcare than it does on steel for cars, we know we have a broken model. The runaway here will be when you realize that every company could immediately outcompete their competition because they could lower their health insurance premiums by 30 to 60%, which would go straight to the bottom line without ever changing their price to the consumer. And when they have an opportunity to do something like that, there'll be a point where they can't afford to not adopt that. So Pandora's box of affordable care has been opened. Yeah. We can count the number of days where people will be buying marked up medicines at these retail costs. So how many DPC practices are there today or was there two years ago? And where will it be two years from now? Give me a sense of the yeah. slope, the impact, the size of the DPC space. 
When we started in 2010, September, there was probably single digits, five maybe, really doing a direct care insurance-free model. And then maybe two years ago, I'd be shocked if it was 400, and now we're probably at 1,000 or 1,200. And we're really starting to see this quarter over hockey quarter. Stick. No, it's still linear. We haven't hit hockey stick yet. Percentage-wise, it's easy on smaller numbers, but we are double-digit growth every month and every quarter to where a few years ago, opening two, three, four clinics a month. December, we opened 26. I think January 29. February, we probably looked at, you know, maybe 21. But 20 to 30, give or take now, and we're punching above our weight class. We get more attention in D.C., in the media, yeah. with policy, with even the insurance companies, the National Association of Healthcare Underwriters had us come out and talk at their national conference last summer in Kansas City. And they're very eager because the agents can't sell these expensive products. And the agents who are selling multiple employer benefit, they're losing their commissions on the valuable products, 401k, Roth, cafeteria plans, because the yeah. insurance premiums are sucking the oxygen out of the room. So they need a solution for this too in terms of the sales team. So insurance is starting to really turn. We talked with the insurance company we've worked with that has quoted themselves as four times more profitable working with direct care. I think everything is pointing to this being the future of outpatient care. It's better for everybody. The future is here, it's just unevenly distributed. Right, the private sector can do it. And the private sector is innovating. This is a great example of private sector innovation, creating more value and creating a better uh, medical care experience generally. So for 20% of the GDP, I don't know how fast we expect it to turn around. Yeah, it takes, it's it like takes turning time. a battleship. Exactly, but Dr. it will turn. Dr. Josh, thank you for joining us here at Vanderbilt University at the Owen Graduate School for our evening night in talking healthcare. Absolutely. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks to Dr. Umber and Professor Van Horn again for their time. And thank you for listening. You can find more stories and information about Owens Graduate School of Management by visiting our website, business.vanderbilt.edu, or following at Vanderbilt Owen on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Editing by Harim Yang, music by Mike Foster, and I'm Kara Shearer.